As we turn now in our copies of God's Word to uh, our sermon text this morning, I invite you to stand. We come to 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 17. And as we are turning in our uh, copies of God's Word today, again, 2 Chronicles can be found right after uh, 1 Chronicles. As we come now to 2 Chronicles chapter 17, beginning at verse 1. Again, let us hear the Word of our God. Beginning at verse 1. Then Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his place and strengthened himself against Israel. And he placed troops in all the fortified cities of Judah and set garrisons in the land of Judah and in the cities of Ephraim, which Asa, his father, had taken. Now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father, and walked in his commandments, and not according to the acts of Israel. Therefore the Lord established the kingdom in his hand, and all Judah gave presents to Jehoshaphat. And he had riches and honor and abundance, and his heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. And moreover, he removed from the high places and wooden images from Judah. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, as you've given to us this holy and perfect word this morning, God, we pray through the continued power of the Holy Spirit that you would not only apply these words on our hearts, but to God, that you might use them to continue to bless us. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Now, whenever you uh, kind of airdrop into the middle of a story, you know, it's important to know what came before. Even when you begin at the beginning of a book of the Bible, you know, every book in the Bible has a context. You know, none of the portions of God's Word uh, were kind of airdropped uh, to the people. You know, these were written by real men in real history. And these events took place in real life. Sometimes we can approach the Word of God as if it's some kind of a secret mystery that somebody found in the back of a cave. It's always important for us to remember as we come to men like Jehoshaphat or Asa or we come to Obadiah, Zechariah, any of the other prophets of the Lord God that these were real people. And the events that they write about actually happened as much as the Battle of Sharpsburg happened in real life. As the the Battle of the Bulge happened in real life. These events of Jehoshaphat, though they might be from the 9th century B.C., this is our story. These are our people. When we read the Old Testament, again, we're reading our own family uh, history. And that's an important thing to remember. As we come to the Word of God this morning from 2 Chronicles 17, again, this isn't a story about a mythical land long ago. Uh, but this is Judah in the 9th century B.C. And Jehoshaphat is named king over uh, the nation of Judah. And as Jehoshaphat comes, we're told at the beginning of chapter 17 that his son, and whose son are we talking about? We're talking about Asa, 
And so let's back up a little bit there to verse 11. It says there, Note the acts of Asa, first and last, are indeed written in the book of the kings of Judah in Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet, and his malady was severe. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. So Asa rested with his father as he died in the 41st year of his reign. They buried him in his own tomb, which he had made for himself in the city of David. And they laid him in the bed, which was filled with spices and various ingredients, prepared in a mixture of ointments. They made a very great burning for him. Again, like I said, Jehoshaphat is being made king of Judah in the midst of real life. In the midst of context. In the midst of a strange time in the history of Judah. One of the things that it's worthwhile to to think about this morning is that Asa had been a godly king. Matter of fact, Asa is one of the few who is mentioned in the Bible as being a king who walked with God. We hear in the Old Testament uh, in Judah only a few. Of course we have Jehoshaphat himself, we have Asa, we have Hezekiah, we have Josiah. But uh, all the rest of the kings of Judah and of course the kings of Israel, uh, they all walked in the sins of their father Jeroboam. They continued to worship the Baals, continued to set up uh, false idols in the temple, continued to worship in ways that God had not commanded. And God had brought destruction upon them for their sin. And as we see in Asa's life, Asa's life does not end in the promising way it had begun. We hear there in uh, verse 12, that as it became diseased and his feet as matters of ear, what did he not do? We're told that he did not seek the Lord. What did he do? He sought the positions. And we hear this and we think, well, well, if you have a malady in the foot, who are you going to ask? Well, you're going to ask the physicians, right? They're the ones with knowledge. But, of course, that's not what the Bible's talking about here. It's not as if we, when we become sick, we are to pray and not seek the physicians. Of course, there's a, uh, an old uh, you know, false um, church that teaches that. They're not as prevalent anymore. You know, the Christian scientists. Uh, they were much more popular for a reason up in West Virginia. There's Christian scientist buildings all over the place up there. But they believed that you know, going to physician was a sign of a lack of faith. You know, that if you really trust in the Lord, that prayer would heal you. Now, of course, we believe that. That's why we pray when we are sick, when others are sick. We believe that God has the power to heal. But again, that's not what the issue is here. The issue is, of course, that Asa in his sickness was not seeking the Lord's intervention, but was placing his faith in the things of the world. He was placing his faith in the physicians, not in the Lord our God. And we see this in the way that it says there at the end of chapter 16, what took place when he was buried. They buried him in his own tomb, which he had made for himself in the city of David. And they laid him in the bed, which was filled with spices and various ingredients, prepared in a mixture of ointments, and they made a very great burning for him. When we hear this burning, 
What are we supposed to think of? What we're to think of here is the false worship that was offered unto Baal. The false worship that was offered up unto idols. They made a burning for Him. Again, they, they burned uh, His uh, you know, kind of resting place as a sign of blessing unto the Lord. The idea was by burning that the smoke, in a very real sense, would carry Him up into heaven. Of course, this isn't something unique to Baal worship. If you've ever you know, uh, heard of the old practice in India of sati, you know, the uh, men are laid on a, uh, a pyre and uh, they were burned. And of course, before the British came, uh, the wife was supposed to get on uh, the pyre with him. They were supposed to die together. Of course, in, in, in our you know, kind of European heritage, what uh, do we hear? Right? This is what we normally hear of the Vikings, right? They, they, they put them on a ship and push them out into the bay and light it on fire, right? A great burning is made. And that's the, 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 the symbol, the essence of what we see here at the end of chapter 16. That Asa, at the end of his life, has given himself over to Baal. And this is why at the beginning of chapter 17 in, in, in our text this morning, that we hear Jehoshaphat strengthening himself against Israel. Because the idea here is, is that Jehoshaphat has inherited a mess. He's inherited a kingdom in somewhat disarray. And it's in disarray because Asa has allowed it to become in disarray because he sought the Baals and not the Lord our God. Now, of course, here in verse 1 and 2, we also hear that he fortified the cities of Judah and set garrisons in the land of Judah and in the cities of Ephraim, which Asa his father had taken. Now, when we hear that he strengthened himself against Israel, of course, that also means militarily. But again, notice something that the chronicler is doing here. Again, by... Coming in at the beginning of chapter 17, after giving us the details of Asa's death, again, he wants us to understand the nature of this strengthening that's going on in the life of Jehoshaphat. One of the things that we often see with sin, and something we talked about in uh, Sabbath school this morning, is the way that sin, of course, begins in the heart. In Sabbath school, we talked about you know, a murder and adultery. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, the way He talks about the nature of that sin you know, beginning as a seed and then exploding in full-blown murder and full-blown adultery. And the, the idea again that the, the, the slightest sin that goes without being mortified, without being put away, will snowball into an avalanche. And again, we usually see the nature of that sin in uh, the earthly things that people do. And that's one of the things we're being shown here. Why does Jehoshaphat have to rebuild and refill the garrison towns? Because of Asa's sin. Because part of Asa's uh, idolatry, part of his wickedness, had caused the nation of Judah to be weak militarily. Again, sin has an effect not just on one's relationship with God, but also with the effect that it has in kind of what we would call real life. If you, you know, it, you know, we think about you know, our children, you know, if they leave one piece of clothing on the ground, 
what happens after two or three days? Right? There's 35 pieces of clothes on the ground. Right? You pick up the one, and what do you not have to do? You don't have to pick up the 35. Right? It's the, the whole the idea of kind of the broken windows uh, uh, you know, policy of policing. Right? If you take care of the small crimes, they're not going to explode into big crimes. But again, that's what has happened in Judah. Because Asa had turned himself away from the Lord, turned himself away from the things of God, and had given himself over to Baal, Judah was again in a mess. And so in order to strengthen himself against Israel, Jehoshaphat not only has to fortify the cities of Judah, but notice what it says at the end of verse 6. Moreover, he removed the high places and wooden images from Judah. You see, in order to actually fortify these things, to actually do this work, you know, he had to begin with uh, this spiritual world that he inherited. Because as king, he was responsible for the spiritual life and spiritual world of his kingdom. And so he had to begin by removing uh, these symbols of idolatry, removing this false worship, removing all of this wickedness that Asa, his father, had brought in to the land. And again, this is what, uh, again, the chronicler is really getting into when he talks about strengthening himself against Israel. Think once more about the situation that Jehoshaphat is living in. The two faithful tribes are down in the south. We have Benjamin and Judah. And the ten tribes are in the north. They still are there in the time of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat is living in the time of Ahab. Now Ahab is shown to us both by the writer of the books of Kings and the book of Chroniclers as to be kind of the height of the wickedness of the northern kingdoms. In fact, of course, his wife Jezebel has become a byword even unto this day. If you call somebody a Jezebel, that's not a word of endearment. That's that's not something anybody wants to be called, a Jezebel. There's a reason why her name has been passed on through the generations, because she was in and of herself kind of the height of wickedness, the height of evil. And Jehoshaphat, again, strengthening himself against Israel is not only strengthening himself militarily, but he wants to ensure that Judah is able to withstand the kind of stench of wickedness, of moral evil, that is coming from the north to the south. You know, when we think about, again, Jehoshaphat in his role as king, the way to do that was with his own walk with the Lord. Because what good does it do to have a king who is evil speaking unto the people to do good? Again, when we think of that, we think of the word hypocrisy. Somebody who says to do one thing and does another. How long do we listen to leaders like that? How well do we obey leaders who tell us to do one thing and do another themselves? Whether it's in business or in school or wherever, we don't listen to people like that for good reason. Because if it doesn't mean anything to them, why should it mean anything to us? 
Jehoshaphat here leading by example, again, strengthening himself against Israel, is not only, again, putting actual physical soldiers in the garrisons, but he is removing the wickedness from the land and the wickedness of his own heart. Now think about how hard this must have been for Asa, or for Jehoshaphat. Because who is he having to clean up after? Alright? It's not like a president who comes in after another president. Alright? He is having to clean up after his own father. And what was the witness that he had of his father? A man who had turned away from the Lord, who had embraced Baal, who had embraced wickedness. And what was the case with most of the wicked uh, parents? What did they produce? They produced wicked children. Right? That's the, 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 the serial example of Israel. Right? The father walked in the ways of Jeroboam. The son walks in the way of Jeroboam. The grandson walks in the way of Jeroboam. But here, we see a break in the pattern. We see Jehoshaphat coming uh, before the Lord, seeking repentance of his own sin, as well as uh, the repentance of the nation. This is why we see there in verse 3, Now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of Father David. And when we think about that, again, walk in the former ways of Father David. Well, remember what David was in the eyes of God. Right? The Scriptures describe David as a man after God's own heart. And what is one of the ways in which that's illustrated for us in the Scriptures? What did David do when he sinned? Did he kind of fluff it off and say, well, I'm king, I'm allowed to sin? Right? Did he walk around saying, well... You know, since I'm king, I can do what I want. Uh, we, what we see from David, again, is a man who feels the weight of his own sin. Right, Psalm 51, of course, is the, uh, the perfect example of the witness of, of David. Right, when he is called out by the prophet Nathan uh, in his sin with Bathsheba, uh, what does he do? Right? He falls on his knees and confesses before the Lord. We hear him you know, taking on the sackcloth and ashes of true repentance. Again, the idea that he being king was not greater than the nation. Right? He wasn't above these things. And this is an attitude most especially of, of what we want to see out of godly leaders. We want to see this humility in the face of even their own sin. This willingness to be confronted, this willingness to receive again the witness of the prophets, to heed what they're saying. Because again, where is Jehoshaphat picking up this idea that his father was in sin? Again, he's picking this up from the prophets of the day, who had been chastising Asa for his sin. Right? This is a heart which is willing to listen to the word of God. In that day given to the prophets. But also, remember something else that the kings of the Old Testament were required to do in the book of Deuteronomy. Right? The kings of the Old Testament were required, or they were supposed to, you know, copy down the word that God had given. Right? They were supposed to, by hand, write out the book of Deuteronomy. And then sign their name at the end. Of it. And what was the purpose that exercise? Well, first of all, it was so that the king could not say, well, I didn't know. Right? Because you wrote it out, you signed your name to it. You testified that this was your responsibility as a king over God's kingdom. 
And so Jehoshaphat not only had received the preaching of the prophets against his father Asa, but he also had read in God's Word what was required of him as a godly king. And again, it shows forth the nature of his heart that as he read these things, he wasn't looking for a loophole. You know, he wasn't looking for a way to get out of the demands of the law of God. But he understood that, that God in the giving of the law had not given this law in order to be a burden unto the king or the kingdom, but this law was given as a blessing unto them. That they might, again as it says in the book of Deuteronomy, they might be an example to the nations around them. That they might show that they trusted not in the things of this life, but in uh, the Lord our God. Again, that's the irony here of Asa's ending. And he put his faith in the physicians. He put his faith in the, the, these worldly men, these men whose ideas were built around the flesh. When he, as king of the nation, had a unique relationship with God Almighty. Again, as we, we, we think about Jehoshaphat, of course, we need to again think about the application of this to our own souls. Into life that we've been given to live as Christians. And one of the responsibilities that each one of us have is not only to humble ourselves before the Word of God, not only to heed uh, the words of the prophets, but again to, to understand again our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Again, not all of us were blessed uh, with godly parents. Not all of us uh, were blessed to have a long line of faithful Christians that we can look back from generations. You know, some of us grew up in, in wicked homes. Some of us grew up in very difficult situations brought about by sin. Again, what we see here in Jehoshaphat is we see a man whom the Lord had called out of that darkness. Called out of that life. And again, Jehoshaphat again sees this in his humility. He sees this in the way he responds to the Word. The way he responds to these things. And that's why it says there again in verse 3, Now the Lord was Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of his father David. He did not seek Baals, but sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the acts of Israel. Therefore the Lord established the kingdom in his hand and all Judah gave presents to Jehoshaphat and he had riches and honor and abundance. And again, notice what it says in verse 6. And his heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. Again, this is another aspect of a, uh, not just a godly king, but of a godly man and a godly woman. And the ways of the Lord are not a burden unto them. Right? They take delight in the ways of the Lord. And what does it mean to delight in something? You think about things that you enjoy. Think about things that you look forward to doing every day. Think about things that you, know, you cannot wait to do. Right? You even put aside things you probably should be doing in order to do those things. Well, again, those are the things that our heart delights in. That's where we have our joy, our comfort, our peace. And one of the challenges of the Word of God today is that true of us. Is our delight in the Lord? Is our delight in the ways of the Lord? 
Is our delight in the law of God? Is our delight in the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are the ways of the Lord a burden to us? Are the ways of the Lord a challenge to us? When we read the Word of God tell us to do this, do we try to look for the loophole? Do we try to say, well, hath God really said that this is what I'm supposed to do? Again, if that's our attitude to the law, if that's our attitude to God, then that's something that we need to take seriously in our own hearts. Because again, what do we see in the Scriptures from those who see the Word of God as a burden? And they're always trying to find a way around. Right? They're always trying to find a way to not only be disobedient to the Word, but they're trying to find a way to hide from what the Word demands. It's one of the things we see often in the Scriptures from those who are running from the judgment of God. We see in the prophets, uh, you know, especially in, in the book of Amos, that you know, this, the, these men who try and go into the depths of the mountains to hide from the Lord. Think about what that represents. The idea that you can hide from God. The idea that you can run as far as you can into the depths of the mountain and there you can do whatever you want to do. Whatever it is your heart's desire is. Of course, we know that's silly because not only does God see all things, but God is everywhere. He's even in the depths of the mountains. And what do we hear in the words of the prophet Amos? God causes those mountains to fall on them in judgment. Again, the way in which we see so many, especially in our day, struggling with sin, struggling with the weight of sin, This is part of the challenge that we have for them. Because we need to show them. And we need to be a light unto them. We need to illustrate in our own lives and the way that we order our lives that our delight is in the Lord. And that it's a joyful thing to be a Christian. It's a wonderful thing to be a Christian. That there's nothing greater in the world than having Jesus Christ as our Savior. But if we walk around and act as if the Lord is a burden unto us, who would want to... Who enjoys difficult things? Who enjoys doing damage to themselves? The world wants joy. The world wants delight. The world wants comfort. The world wants these things. And the people of God need to be illustrating that love that we have for the Lord, not only in uh, the way that we act about our own salvation, but also the way we approach the things that God has given us to do. And this is what we see from Jehoshaphat. Again, as he delights in uh, the ways of the Lord, again, it's it's responsive. And we see that as he delights in the ways of the Lord, he removes the high places and the wooden images from Judah. And he sees these things that are a stumbling block, those things that are keeping him from enjoying the things of the Lord, and he removes them from Israel, from Judah. He does this not only because they are a temptation to himself, 
But those things, those idols, are an affront to the living and the true God. This is one of the things we see the Lord Jesus do when He goes into the temple with the whips and drives out the money changers, right? They have turned this house of prayer into a what? Into just a common market. Not just a common market, but a place where all kinds of wicked thieving was going on. And and again, you think of the illustration of, of, of that in the life of Jehoshaphat. Again, he sees these things and he acts, again, just as the Lord Jesus does in the temple. Right? He removes these, uh, the, these wooden images. He removes these high places. And again, all of these good works, all of these actions are a response to the fact that he loves the Lord our God. And brothers and sisters, as we continue in this life that God has given to us, we need to ask that question of ourselves. Again, are we greatly distressed in our sin? Are we greatly distressed when we fall short of the glory of God? Do we feel the weight of these things enough to remove those sins from our lives? Or are we like uh, so many that we see in the Scriptures who, who, who think there's plenty of time to get rid of that sin? Right? Or we look at our own sin and say, well, it's not as bad as that person's sin. Right? I'm not as evil as they are, so I must be okay. And we, we think about that, and we think, well, of course I've never done anything like that. Again, that's a temptation that's true for all of us. Again, the Scriptures are clear that, 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 that as we continue to grow in our understanding of ourselves, as we continue to grow in our understanding of our own sin, again, one of the things that uh, that the mature Christians exhibit more than anything else is that humble spirit. Because they know who they are in the light of the gospel. They know that they are redeemed sinners. They know they are, the, are, are ones who do not deserve the grace of the Lord Jesus. Who wake up every morning and, 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 are, and are thankful for the new mercies of God in that day. Again, as we, we begin this time in the book of Second Chronicles, we will also see that Jehoshaphat is not one who you know, kind of stays this uh, kind of a sterling example. We'll see a man who struggles. We'll see a man who falls short. And again, the reasoning of his falling short is not really that unique. When we think of the later, later life of David, you know, what is the, the, the sin at the end of his life that, that, that causes so much uh, difficulty and harm in Israel? Remember, he, he calls for the census. And, and why does God bring judgment upon David because of the census? You know, it seems like it would be a good idea to know how many people are in your land, right? You know, I mean, we're getting ready to do that in our own nation in this year. The idea there, again, is that David is like Asa. And he's putting his faith in the numbers of Israel, putting his faith in the physicians rather than in the Lord his God who has brought him thus far. So brothers and sisters, as we leave this place this morning, and let us take stock of our own hearts. Let's ask ourselves what our delight is in. Is our delight in the things of the Lord? Do we love the law of God? Do we love the Lord as He has given Himself to us? 
This is a question that's necessary for us to ask. As we go forth in this place, let's again remember not only that we see in the Scriptures men like Jehoshaphat who struggle with these things. But the salvation of Jehoshaphat is the same salvation that we have all received. That even though we fall short of the glory of God, our hope, our peace, our comfort is not in our obedience to the law. Our hope and comfort is in the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ to that law. And the righteousness that He has given to us. We might have again that name which is above every name. Uh, That name which is our access unto the Father. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Gracious Heavenly Father, we give thanks again.